Hallelujah. I have really appreciated the activity that's been in the church family of evangelization this week, the passing out of the flyers door to door. I'm so thankful for that. I know that it has its effect. I appreciate that. I see people that I'm anxious to meet here this morning. It could have been that you have received an invitation in this manner and have responded by being here today. And we want you to feel at home and welcome. We're so glad for everyone. And the prayer and the service Friday night were just really something. We thank God for what the Lord is doing here in the church family. And we are so excited about what he's going to do. Tonight will be a wonderful night. Amen. It'll be a wonderful night. Praise God. It'll be a wonderful night. And for you folks that may be here and have not met uh, the man which God has sent to us for this particular time, I want you to meet Brother Charles Pierce. Would you stand, Brother Pierce? We appreciate uh, the man of God. And <clears throat> praise the Lord. Hallelujah. God has used uh, our brother in a marvelous way, and he will be preaching uh, for us uh, tonight and Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and through this next weekend, and then the week after that, and how much farther, we don't know. Uh, we're very appreciative of what God is doing. We thank God for it. Hallelujah. I just, somebody may be sitting here this morning that, that will be healed tonight. God may work something out in your life, do something outstanding for you. We're going to read the word this morning, and we're turning to the 22nd chapter of Matthew's Gospel. We will begin with verse 1, and we will read through the 14th verse. Praise God. <clears throat> Why don't you stand and let's read the Word of God together. would appreciate it if you would read aloud with me. Beginning with verse 1 of chapter 22, Matthew's Gospel. And Jesus answered and spake unto them again by parables and said, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king, which made a marriage for his son, and went, sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding. And they would not come. Again he sent forth other servants, saying, Tell them which are bidden, Behold, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, my fatlings are killed, and all things are ready. Come unto the marriage. But they made light of it, and went their ways, one to his farm, another to his merchandise. And the remnant took his servants, and entreated them spitefully, and slew them. But when the king heard thereof, he was wroth, and he sent forth his armies, and destroyed these murders, and burned up their city. Then saith he to his servants, The wedding is ready, but they which were bidden were not worthy. Go ye therefore into the highways, and as many as ye shall find, bid them to the marriage. So these servants went out into the highways, and gathered together all as many as they found both bad and good, and the wedding was furnished with guests. And when the king came in to see the guests, he saw there a man which had not owned a wedding garment. And he saith unto him, Friend, how comest thou in hither, not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then said the king to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, and take him away, and cast him into outer darkness, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You may be seated. My subject for this morning is <clears throat> line breakers and gate crashers. Line breakers and gate crashers. It's often said it takes all kinds of people to make the world. I have observed sometimes when society needs to make some kind of arrangements which would serve the whole uh, people better. And so there needs to be a certain conformity understood and brought about so that the uh, best purpose of everybody could be served. There will most always be somebody in the group, if the group is large especially, that will react. 
And they would begin at once to figure out some way to beat the game, some way that they do not have to conform and do like other people are. They are not willing, ready uh, to cooperate, and they, they don't want to do that. Uh, I know of a man in a certain place in East Texas that for many years uh, uh, contrived a particular electrical hookup and stole electricity from uh, the church. He lived right across the alley from the church, and he managed to get some wire over there undetected and ran it to his house, and he had uh, free electricity for quite a number of years and that way. I was coming from in San Francisco uh, yesterday. It was Labor Day weekend. The terminal, of course, was crowded, and uh, I had to go through security, as everyone else did. The line was long, and it wound around, very long line. So I had been in line for a good while, inching up, and there were problems with the machine, And but I got down to where I was in sight that I could see the machine. There was a guard standing off to the side to keep people from going down the exit line. People were exiting and we were entering. And sure enough, as we got down close to the machine, a couple of fellows came bounding along with uh, packs and uh, they were stopped immediately by the guard. The guard told them, you have to go through the security. Have to have your backs, uh, your packs uh, analyzed, and so uh, they said we got to get in the line. Yes, he said you have to get in the line, and so they just stepped into the line, and uh, <clears throat> then they laughed. And I heard one remark: it worked. And of course, they knew all the time that they would be stopped, and uh, they knew that all they had to do is just step right over into the line that they would get by without having to wait the line out, that they would just step into it, and, and that was it. Uh, it uh, caused you to would like to say, I, I'd like to ask you a question. Uh, what happened to you in life that has put this into you that caused you to believe that you are such a wonderful person that you don't have to stand in line like the rest of us do? Yeah. I guess uh, a lot of people get those feelings when uh, something like that happens. I want to just talk here about line breakers and uh, gate crashers a little bit this morning. Uh, the logistics of moving people is an appalling thing, especially if you have a sizable number of people to be moved or you're going to keep a, quite a few people, host quite a few people. And uh, Jim Ewan who was involved in public relations with Delta Airlines. When uh, Flight 191 crashed in Dallas, August the 2nd of last year, he was at his home in Atlanta. It was a day off for him, and he had just finished mowing his yard. He uh, had gone in, had bathed, and uh, was getting ready for supper. The phone rang. When the phone rang, he told his wife, he said, that's flight control. And he said, I feel deep inside that there's something wrong. She said that this is something that you're always feeling. But sure enough, this was the first indication that he had that uh, flight 191 had gone down uh, in Dallas. He couldn't believe it because Delta for 12 years had had no major catastrophe. It was, uh, they had told about uh, how good a safety record it had and was very proud of that. But he was the one that had to get the facts together and walk out before all of the blazing lights and the TV cameras and make a statement that so many people were on the flight that there were no survivors and uh, that to give them the details of that. It haunted him. And his own statement was this. He said, we feel responsible for these people. We as a company feel like that we have definitely let people down because we had entered into a contract with them to move them from point A to point B safely. And we did not do that. And 
when I think about this kind of responsibility and the world's greatest transition that is now in progress, that Almighty God is attempting to move people from the world into the church, from sin into salvation, from the earth into heaven. And in the process of God doing that, he, like everybody else, runs into line breakers and gate crashers. And it is indicated here in the scripture that he did just exactly that. Relatively few of the people that were invited to come to this particular marriage of the king's son came. Now, a lot came. It filled the house. They got all that they could take care of finally. But the number of people who heard, who were invited and didn't come, far exceeded the number who did come. Most of the folks that were invited did not come. The scripture said that they made light of it. They spoke against it, and they treated the servants that were sent out very despitefully. And this is what Jesus uh, told us to indicate that this is the reception sometimes that the gospel gets, and a reception sometimes that some of you dear people have gone into when you have invited folks for their best interest's sake to be in the house of God and hear the word of God and to be saved. The world made light of the greatest display of love that you could ever, ever imagine. There were uh, people that had no time for Jesus Christ when he was upon this earth. There are people that still don't. When love is flaunted and flung back in one's face, when it is sincerely offered, it is very, very hurtful. A man came to me one time and was very brokenhearted, very disturbed. Very distraught. He had married a girl that her means was much above his, and his ed her education was quite a bit better than his. He was limited in his money-making capacity because of the uh, various factors, lack of skills and education and so on, but he did the very best that he could. He knew that the, his lack of being able to make the amount of money that she wanted him to make was a factor and a stress point. But one day he got a raise and that was bigger than any that he had ever gotten. He was so thankful for it, and it was payday too, and it was on his check, and he was glad for it. And so all that day he could hardly wait until he got home and brought that paycheck to his wife with a raise on that paycheck, and this was something that he could do. This was his manhood that was on display, and he, he was just could hardly wait to get home. His wife picked him up from work, and they went, as they usually did, to buy groceries that Friday afternoon. Went to the usual grocery store, and that grocery store had uh, a check-cashing arrangement. And uh, so when uh, his wife got ready to get out, he uh, reached into his billfold and got the check out. And uh, uh, But his wife was upset at something before she ever had gotten over there hardly spoken to him in route and so he handed her that check very proudly and telling her said you notice I got a raise and she took a look at that check and she saw it and she just threw it out the window and uh, so <clears throat> it hurt him the wind was blowing he'd worked hard for the two weeks uh, to make that check he scrambled as quickly out of the car as he possibly could, and he said, I ran after that check. He said, I felt like a fool. And he said, it, the wind was blowing it, and it went across the street, and he said, and I felt like that she was sitting there in the car, and she was laughing at me and watching me as I ran after that check and tried to get it and then to bring it back to her. And he said, told me, he said, uh, you know, I don't know, I don't guess I've ever had anything in all my life to hurt me as much as that. Here is an invitation given. I couldn't use any illustration or explain anything that would set in sharp relief the tremendous love of God to a lost world and what he has done for me and for people like you and how he has loved me and how he has loved you. And sometimes a response that's negative or a response that is uncaring evidently hurts him. No doubt he was hurt when, in the week of his passion, in the time that he died. They mocked him while he died. They said, if thou be the Son of God, come down, save yourself. 
And then, of course, we believe you. They used sacrilege on him. They put a crown of thorns on his head and mashed it down. And then they bowed their knees before him and said, Hail, uh, King of the Jews, and so on. And they taunted him. They blindfolded him, slapped his face, and said, If you know uh, so much, tell us who it was that slapped your face. They made fun of him. They beat him over the head with rods as his head was crowned with thorns and said, Prophesy unto us and tell us who it is that's striking you right now. Their derision, their fun-making, their gigging and hurting psychologically, no doubt amounted more to more than the physical pain that finally took him out of this world. It was an affront. Most of the people that were invited didn't come. They made light of it. Light is still made of Jesus Christ in devious ways. Even on those days that's supposed to honor him, it's nothing but a joke. Take Christmas time when here is a very opulent, uh, foolish, folly, uh, uh, foolish man that is paraded out in such a story told about him that uh, only the smallest child could possibly believe such a lie as Santa Claus and, and so on. Why is all of that done? I tell you frankly, uh, today it's a trick of Satan, an effort to take from Jesus Christ as much as can be taken from Jesus Christ, an effort to cover up, an effort to uh, to play it down. Oh yes, we will honor him at Easter time, but sure we will, because it's a chance to sell some new frocks, and we'll merchandise it. Somebody can make some money off of it. Why shouldn't we? And we'll tell some more lies about rabbits that lay eggs and things of this nature. And so in every situation where Jesus Christ is, there is some insidious way not to give him credit, not to give him honor, to play it down and to do something that hurts him and hurts him still. That was uh, not long ago, the uh, religious uh, booksellers convention. In that booksellers convention, a press uh, had quite a collection there and a display. It is a new press that is uh, really revving up and selling quite a bit of material. It had six brand new sizable books that were released at that particular time. Now, of course, that particular press stresses the fact that uh, the kingdom of God, that we are going to bring it upon this earth ourselves and that uh, we're going to take care of it. And it takes a lot of the, the the emphasis of the second coming of a judgment and things of this nature. But uh, it, the most of the people didn't listen to these folks. The most of the world will never be saved. The most of the world will never love Jesus Christ. The most of the world will not accept the invitation. But the house will be full. There will be many, there will be multitudes that cannot be numbered. But relatively speaking, it will not be true. John 5 and 40, Jesus said to someone who listened to him, You will not come unto me that you might be saved. You will not come to me. There are some here in this city who will not come, who will never come. There might be some sitting here in this audience, oh, perish the thought, who will not come. I would hope that it would not be so. But there are people, some of them, who do not come, who do not accept the invitation. Matthew chapter 7, verse 13, Jesus said, Enter ye in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth unto destruction. And many there be that go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way that leadeth unto life everlasting. And few there be that find it. This is relatively speaking. In the 15th chapter of Acts of the Apostles, it is said that God did visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And so here again to a Gentile congregation on this Sunday morning, there is a visitor that drops in here and walks these aisles and meets with people. He is searching for somebody that will bear his name. Walking by this way, coming and knocking upon the door of somebody's heart. 
The old, old invitation is being given here once again. I can never get used to Sunday morning. I can never get used to Sunday night. Each of these are very important occasions. The apex of a week, the climax of seven days or six that has preceded it. I am already anticipating tonight. And right now I know that these aisles are walked by Jesus Christ. Coming to Gentiles, seeking among them somebody that will follow him and hear his voice. Praise God. Hallelujah. The servants encountered many that were filled with their own willful ways. The scripture said they were. And uh, they turned the invitation back. Isaiah, the 53rd chapter, verse 6, tells us of people that are filled with their ways. And we turn every man to his own ways. That is the 53rd chapter. Now, the 53rd chapter of Isaiah is that tremendous chapter that tells about the passion and death of Jesus Christ. It is etched out in very sharp, vivid details in the 53rd chapter. In the midst of all of that, where love is told about, and all the wonderful things that God would do for the sinner, all of that, and it laid upon him the iniquity of us all. He was rejected of men, etc. In the midst of that is this sharp, brutal statement, we turn everyone to his own ways. This is a shocking contrast in a beautiful chapter of love. Yes, sir, a shocking contrast. And this is a part of the insidious wickedness of man that people are obsessed with selfishness and that they are bent on doing the things that please them, that they want to do, and they don't think that they have to give any explanation for it. It is the story of the world. Uh, it was said in this parable that they went their own ways. They got the invitation, but they went their own ways. And friend, this is the heart of all sin. Selfishness and willfulness is the heart of all sin. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And, of course, it results in, in much, much harm. One of the larger publications which... Uh, is sold all over the world. This magazine is published in the United States. It gave a report uh, not long ago, and perhaps you read the report, report on AIDS. It just took one woman, for instance, that she had lived a promiscuous life, and she decided that um, she didn't want to live that way, and in time she, she uh, got married. She already had children, and she tried to make the marriage work, and it did not work. In time, there was a divorce. She had a job. She worked at the job. She went her way, and in time, she took up with another man and uh, moved in with him. In the process, though, the children wanted to see their daddy. She took them to see her, their, their father. She, he wasn't home. And she discovered that he was sick and that he was in the hospital. And then in time, she discovered that he had AIDS. And she went her way. She didn't think too much about it. But it wasn't long, just a matter of months, and she fell sick. They took her to the hospital. Uh, they couldn't find out what was wrong with her for some time. And she grew increasingly ill. It was discovered that she also had AIDS. When it was all tallied up, the number of people that were sick, there was 23. And it was no ifs, no ands, or buts. Name them. Let them go now and order out their casket. They have a chance to pick it if they want to because they're going to die. 23 people are going to die. And there's no, no guesswork about it. They will. They will die. And some are already dead. Why? Well, uh, why should I stand in line? Uh, why should I? After all, <laughs> look who I am. I have the privilege of going down front, you know. I, I, I don't have to wait my turn. I, I don't have to do that. I, after all, I, 
I just don't, I don't intend to. I, I'm going to, I, I'm going to live and do what I want to do. I, I'll crash the gate. I, I'll break the line. I, I'm not about to. You just don't, don't, don't talk that to me. If you want to, if you're going to preach, go somewhere else. I, after all, you know, you don't know who I am. And, and, and so on. Willfulness. I, I have a right to break the line. I have a right to crash the gate. I, I, I've got I can do that, you know, and uh, and uh, I have a perfect right to, and and I will do that, and 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 it is done. I was uh, reading a takeoff from the New England Medical Report uh, just this past week. In this particular takeoff from that uh, New England Medical Report, the uh, very skilled uh, doctor who was uh, writing the paper, he said, "Of course, there is no cure for AIDS," and he said. We don't know whether there really will ever be. It's an animal virus coming from the green monkey. It, uh, uh, we don't know the ramifications. We just don't know. Perhaps by the year of 2000. It, but in the meantime, a tremendous industry is going to be created. That industry is going to be comparable or larger in scope than the cancer industry. And uh, there is going to be tremendous amounts of money it's going to be put into it. And the end result, we can't, uh, we can't ascertain. Now, this doctor, who was a professional man, he said, but I, there is a cheaper way and a better way. And he said, it will work. And we can stop it and we can stop it now. And he said, but uh, I would even hesitate to put it down, but I will put it down. And he did put it down. Now, what is this big shocking situation that this professional man dreaded to put in print? He just, he was reticent to put it down. Yet he said that it would stop AIDS and it would solve it. And he said, quit our promiscuous living and uh, stop it. And uh, people marry and stay with their partners. And uh, he said... Uh, the AIDS would take care of itself. Oh, that's a shocker. Would we dare suggest something like that? And so on. Now, the man hesitated to say it, you know. Why? Well, man, that means I've got to stand in line. Uh, Me stand in line? Me have any observances? Me have any restrictions on myself? I, I just, after all, I'm a... I'm a professional line breaker. I, uh, I'm a gate crasher. I, I don't do things. I mean, no. Me, I'm not standing in line. No, no way. No way. Yes, sir. No one would suggest that the problem is a moral problem. Certainly it couldn't be, you know, that it would be a moral problem. Moral? What is moral, you know? And what is that? Oh, dear Friend, this book has got to be right. Amen. It's got to be right. Praise God. Yes, sir, it must be right. Hallelujah. Well, would it work if, if that were done? If people brought themselves into the lines of the Scripture, if they lived lives that were pure and, and so on, would it work? Let me bring you an example. I was talking with uh, a pastor. This pastor told me about a uh, a man who was brilliant, smart, well-educated. He was a homosexual. And he came for help, made an effort to help this individual, and they seemed to want help. And then there was a reverting back into the lifestyle, and there was phone calls and letters and and trying to keep the correspondence going and communication up. And finally, the pastor said, uh, I just said, I don't want you to write me no more. I'm not talking to you anymore, etc. And it brought a tremendous shock to this individual. And a church right here in the state of Texas saw this brilliant, capable man come straight walking down the aisles and fall at its altar, filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost and gave his heart to God. And as a result of that, he was the driving force behind One of, if it's not the only, aid hospital that exists in the United States. And there was quite a write-up in the news media nationwide about the opening of this particular hospital. You will find a paragraph in that particular writing that said, 
I was given hope by Reverend so-and-so in my conversation that I could be delivered from homosexuality, that I could be set free, and that I could truly live like uh, in a way that I could respect myself. And uh, he said I, that was where I got my first hope. But his own admission is this. This hospital here that is well-equipped, that is undergirded by tremendous finance, the men who come there and some women for help, he said they are ministered to uh, by doctors that are homosexuals. They are ministered to by nurses that are lesbian because that the other folks seem to be afraid of the AIDS situation that these folks are dying with. And he said, what goes here? said, those guys that are in the same shape I was in before I got saved and filled with the Holy Ghost, he said, they were told by the doctors, oh, that your lifestyle didn't have anything to do with you getting AIDS, and told by the lesbians that don't think about that. That is just, uh, that, uh, that's a moral, they're trying to put a moral straitjacket on you. No, of course not. <laughs> who wants to stand in line, you know? And uh, who, who wants to do that? Uh, you know, after all, I'll, I'll go up front, I'll crash the gate, and so on. There. It works that way, you know. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. Another pastor, a pastor told me, says, uh, <clears throat> I went to visit, and this has been several years ago this occurred. I went to visit uh, some folks, and they were in a pad. In fact, the whole house was made up of uh, people that lived promiscuously. And I visited this person because that they had Pentecostal connections and they they just leaped upon me, so to speak, verbally when I came, and they put me down, and and they just screamed at me and and uh, derided me and and so on. And I told them, I said, well, I don't know a whole lot about the way you folks live. I don't have anything against you. I'm not against you. I'm for you. I won't. I know that Lord loves you, and and so why don't you come to the church? And I'd like for you to talk with some folks that have lived the way that you have lived and and have conversation. One of them said a debate. And, well, the pastor said, if you want a debate, well, fine. And let, let you debate them. And I'm, I, I just came down here and invite you to church. And, uh, but if you want to really get with it, uh, so we can arrange that. And they did. And there's quite a few of them came. And there were some... Folks full of the Holy Ghost and and uh, that had come out of the same section of town and all of that. And they were happy in the Lord and loving these folks and wanting to see them saved. And they were there in the same room. And so the particular principles of that lifestyle began to be expounded. One of them, of course, was I reserve the right to <clears throat> live the way I want to live. And I, uh, I have a right to live that way. If that's the way I want to live, it's my business and... And I can, I can live that way. And there was a sweet lady, after he had finished, she said, I'd like to answer that. She said, I know where you're coming from. I've been there. I've taken dope for years, and uh, I've wasted my health. I never will be as strong as what I could have been if I hadn't uh, involved myself in that lifestyle. As a consequence of that, she said, I have three children. There are two of those children that are badly deformed because I took dope all the time that I carried them and they came into this world, they came underweight, they came deformed, and they came hooked on dope when they were born. And uh, the other of my three children is uh, an imbecile, is mindless, and uh, none of them will be able to make their way in this world. I have a job now, and I'm doing the best I can, and also I'm getting some help from the state, as these children here. And she said, now then you tell me that you've got a right to do that. She said, if my children were intelligent enough and normal enough that they could talk, they would tell you, you don't have that right. You have no right to foster that upon me. They would tell you that my mother didn't have the right to make me like this for the rest of my life. 
And a lot of taxpayers would rise up and say, why should we pay for your depravity? Why should we pay for your willfulness? Why should we pay for it? Why should we? Oh, but the gate crasher says, why should I stand in line? Why should I? Yeah. Yeah. So a pastor said to a, a, a person one time, they came in and visited with the parents, and the TV was on, and the little boy was glued to it, and he stood, stood there long enough to see what he was watching. And he just turned to him. He said, how can you do that to your child? What do you mean? Do you, did you notice what he's watching? Do you know that what he is watching right now is teaching your boy to be a homosexual? And uh, that he's getting lessons and he's getting lessons every day and he's getting lessons hour by hour. And that is going into him and it never will go out of him. It will be in him as long as he lives. He may overcome it, but he, it will be a problem for him. It will be a fact. Oh, the man says, we're, we're, we're talking to him. And, 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 and after all, you know, why should I stand in line? Yeah. They're quiet, you know. I got them out from under my feet. Yeah. Why should I be bothered with, with them, with kids? After all, uh, let's get them quiet. Get them in there. That, yeah, I'm not standing in line. I, you could just really know, folks, how I feel when I talk like this. I, I'm not mad. I'm not. If I sound sarcastic, I don't mean it that way. We're 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 just we're just talking. Have you ever been in line and been a long time, and somebody come barging in ahead of you and and, and, and so on? There are people that just feel like I've got a right to break the line anytime I want to break the line. I don't. It'll. I can do it. You can't do it and get by with it. No, you can't. Praise God. I talked with a punk artist this past week, ex-punk artist. And he told me, he said, I've got more to thank God for than anybody here. He said, Brother Pugh, if you could have seen me five years ago, you, wouldn't have, you couldn't have told me from a woman. He said, I dress like a woman. And we put on our uh, our shows, and you if you'd have walked in, you would have thought that it was a ladies' group, a woman's group up there, and uh, that were, was performing. And he said, the thing that kids don't know, it's not just another way to sing. But he said, I want to tell you what would happen when we pulled it off. He said, if we really had a good evening, we would get the crowd going and we sung songs that protested and we sung songs that had hate in them and we sung songs that had sacrilege in them and we just belched it out and we screamed and, and said then after a while we got the whips out and the people in the congregation that wanted to be whipped and actually it was something perverted would get a hold of them and they longed for the beating and they would leap to the stage and, and the beatings would take place until the, the skin was made very red and so on. And we'd still work that crowd with those hate-filled songs until the crowd would get into it and cup and slap and beat and scream. And I said, why? And this was his answer. He said, have you said, I don't know whether you can remember the last time that you were tremendously, tremendously angry. And uh, and that surge rose up in you and you felt powerful. And reason left. You felt strong. You felt like you could do anything. And he said, that's the feeling that comes. And said, it is erotic. It's, uh, it, is, uh, uh, it, it has a sexual uh, connotation to it. And uh, he said, uh, people arouse in that vein. What vein? Of 
losing reason through the avenue of anger, practicing going down that pattern track of anger, of the loss of reason, and so on. And he said, and here I am. He said, God did this for me. Praise God. God did this for me. Hallelujah. And over the world today, and listen to me, because I do speak kindly. I'm, I'm not crusading today per se. I'm reaching today. The world increases with arrogant gate crashers. Folks that don't plan on standing in line. They don't plan on paying the full price. And the, that honest Joe that does the good day's work must be stupid because uh, not me. And so the drags increase. There's a strong independent willfulness that came right into a sacred setting. The servants had met it out on the roads and in the streets. And when they got into the wedding and the gala affair was going on, lo and behold, it was epitomized in a man who came in. Now, the way he came in, it was not through ignorance. He knew better. It was attitude. He would not have been disposed of in the way that he was if he had simply made a mistake. He didn't make a mistake. And so the way he handled him indicated that he knew. He knew. And the man was there. It was a gate crasher. He was a line breaker. I'm not about to dress like that. <laughs> Me, I'll do what I please. So what? I'll flaunt it. I'll get attention. Boy, I'll, that'll make their eyes pop. I'll come in. I'll be the epitome of rebellion. <laughs> and uh, so he came strolling in. He didn't. He was not dressed properly. He he was degrading the whole party. He he was. Uh, his whole being screamed out against everything that was being done there. And it screamed for attention. And they saw that. The attitude was sin. Sin? Yeah. He was a gate crasher. He was a line breaker. He was, he was a foreigner. He was filled with willfulness. Amen. John 10 and 1 said, He that entereth not by the door, but climbeth up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. Matthew, the seventh chapter, verse 21. Not all that say unto me, Lord, Lord, will enter in, but they that do the will of my Father, which is in heaven. And I mentioned to you about a beautiful girl Sister Pugh and myself used to visit. And then one day I remember asking her to come to church. Her mother was such a wonderful, wonderful woman. I never will forget what she told me. She said, well, she said, Religion's all right, but when I get religion, if I do, she said, I want the kind that doesn't hinder me from doing the things that I want to do. I reserve the right to break the line. I, I, I don't want no one hindering me. And I heard in the old end of the Golden West, before they converted it, a man making a call to his wife, and he was saying... We're down here in Pecos in the car. The truck is broke down, and uh, I don't know how, how long it's going to be before we get it fixed. And so I won't be in for supper. There was a couple of fellows with him. And when he finished the phone call, they laughed, all three of them laughed, and they slapped him on the back. He was a hero. What kind of a man was that? It was the kind of a fellow that didn't want a marriage that hindered him from doing the things he wanted to do. Who wants to be hindered after all? Don't you have a right to break the line if you want to break the line? And then there are those ladies, oh yes, would like to have a family, but I want a family that doesn't hinder me from doing what I want to do. I just don't want to be hindered. Don't hinder me. Something deep inside of me says that right now the Lord of glory might be knocking upon somebody's door saying, wait a minute. 
Could it be true that some kind of attitude I have had, some kind of concept that I've had, does not stack up entirely and completely with, with, uh, with the Word of God? But the house was full. Strange, just three days from the death where Jesus spoke about a wedding for the Son. Three days, the most catastrophic murder looked like that the world had ever seen was going to take place. And here Jesus is talking about hilarity. How could he do that? You'd have to go to the second chapter of Hebrews where he said, Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame? Because Jesus can see things that I can't see and you can't see. He already anticipated his triumph. He knew that somebody was coming. The house is going to be full. There's going to be enough there, and we're going to have a time. Praise God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank God. Not everybody will come, but some will come. Yeah, and they'll come, and we're going to have a great time. Praise God. Praise God. And it was. The house is full. Praise God. Hallelujah. And I close here without finishing. And they came. Yes, they came. And the Bible said the bad and the good came. And I looked at that last night, and I said, I wouldn't have written it that way. I would have put the good and the bad came. But the Lord, he said, the bad and the good. He put the bad first. Praise God. The truth of the matter is, Jesus said, there's not but one good, and that's God. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And friend, when I come into that feast on that wonderful day, what am I going to see and who is it that's going to be there? I'm not qualified to answer all of that, but I can go by the Scripture. And I know according to this Bible here that there, there's going to be a man at that feast that up to that time, he, he customarily didn't go to church much. Evidently, he didn't. And there was a lot of other things in his life that's hardly wrong. His wife couldn't trust him in, in a lot of things. You can, you can see the indication of it there. But this man, he just pounded his chest and he said, God be merciful to me, a sinner. If you don't mind, Lord, I'll back up. I'll go to the tail of the line. I'll get in line. Praise God. I'll do it. According to this Bible here, there'll be a woman there out of whom that Jesus cast seven devils. According to that Bible, there'll be a woman there that shed her tears upon his feet. Praise God. According to this Bible here, there'll be another man there. He was bad-mouthing Jesus Christ. Oh, there was one doing that. And after a while, the other one spoke up and said, wait a minute. In effect, this is what he could have said. You know, wait a minute. We've got our just deservings. We've been line breakers and gate crashers all of our life. We've done what we we were well we we very well pleased. And I'm coming off of it. I'm getting in line. Master. Hey, Master, when you come in your kingdom, could you remember me? Look my way. Glory. There is something so wonderful and great and grand about people submitting to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I remember so vividly the night that I walked an aisle and there's no merit in walking an aisle. I made my way to an altar and there's no merit in an altar. Well, what was it all about? I'll never forget that night because I turned from my own ways. I said, God, I'm playing it your way. I'm getting in line, God. Uh, yes, sir. Just tell me when. Amen. Tell me where. Praise God. Here I am. Lead on. Amen. I'm following. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Shall we pray, church? Hallelujah. Oh, glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. 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 Praise God. 
Oh, hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Bless the Lord Jesus, bless the Lord Jesus, bless the Lord Jesus. We thank you, God, we thank you, God, we thank you, God. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Praise your holy name. Church, let us believe that Jesus is very near today, and He is. Church, let us believe that He knows the name of everybody that He wants to bless especially. And there's somebody here this morning that He wants to bless especially. It may be somebody that has the Holy Ghost. It may be somebody that never has received the Holy Ghost. But He is the blesser this morning for either. And he's right here. Church, let's believe that even now that person feels the presence of God. That they feel the warmth of God's love. They feel his tenderness. And they know that God is close to them. Praise God. Church, let's believe that. Let's believe that even now that somebody is thinking in themselves, I think that I'm going to change. I, I feel I want to. I, I just want to go and tell Jesus something. I want to talk to him about this. I'm not sure about what I'm going to do, but I do know that I need to go talk to Him this morning. All right, church? Praise God. Could you believe that that's happening in this congregation right now? Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Let's pray again, church. Amen. Shall we pray, church? Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, bless the Lord, my soul, my soul. And all that is within me, bless His holy name. Bless His holy name. Bless His holy name. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank I you, Jesus. want to live the way He wants me. I want to give until there's just no more to give. I want to love, love till there's just no more love. I could never, ever have love alone.